Act 1. Introduction. The First Continental Congress. The First Continental Congress convened in Philadelphia on September 5, 1774, in response to the Intolerable Acts. On October 20th, the Congress in turn responded to King George, and in the last week of October, to the inhabitants of Great Britain, and finally, to the people of the United Colonies. It passed the Articles of Association, which provided a timeline for an importation and exportation embargo with Great Britain. The hope was that the threat of an economic embargo would encourage King George to address the colonial grievances and thus produce an amicable reconciliation. In order to help make sense of these events, we've divided Act 1 into two scenes. The first scene takes place from September 5th through October 13th. The Journal of Congress lists 45 delegates present on September 5th of 1774. The Congress quickly created several committees and divided up the delegates onto these different committees to take care of the many different issues that they faced. The first, or the Rights Committee, was made up of two delegates from each state. The second, or Trade Committee, had one delegate from each colony. The third, a five-member committee, was created to resolve the import-export consumption issue. We know these things because of the records that the First Continental Congress kept. It's interesting, however, to get a sense of how these decisions were made, and maybe through those be able to intuit some sense of the priorities and maybe even the values of those who attended the First Continental Congress. In a letter dated October 10th, from the three Connecticut delegates addressed to Governor Jonathan Trumbull, we find a good summary of what took place between September 1st and the first two weeks of October. Remember that the Suffolk Resolves were an important element in the conversations seeking reconciliation or independence. The letter to Governor Trumbull reads as follows, quote, The mode of voting in this Congress was first resolved upon, which was that each colony should have one voice. But as this was objected to as unequal, an entry was made on the journals to prevent it being drawn into precedent in future. Committees were then appointed to state American rights and grievances, and of the various acts of the British Parliament which affect the trade and manufactures of these colonies. On these subjects, the committees spent several days when the Congress judged it necessary. On the 16th arrived an express from Boston with letters to the delegates and the Suffolk Resolves. These were laid before the Congress and were highly approved of and applauded, as you will see, by the enclosed paper of the 19th, in which the proceedings of the Congress thereon is published at large by their order. A general non-importation of British goods and manufactures, or of any goods from thence, appearing to the Congress one of the means of redress in our power, and which might probably be adopted, to prevent future difficulties and altercations on this subject among those who might now, or for some time past, had been sending orders for goods. The Congress unanimously came into the enclosed resolution on the 22nd, and the same was ordered to be published immediately. Since this non-importation and non-consumption of goods from Great Britain and Ireland, and from and after the 1st of December next, has been unanimously resolved on, but to carry so important a resolution into effect, it is necessary that every possible precaution should now be taken. An assembly like this, though it consists of less than 60 members, 
yet coming from remote colonies, each of which has some modes of transacting public business peculiar to itself, some particular provincial rights and interests to guard and secure, must take some time to become so acquainted with each one's situations and connections as to be able to give a united assent to the ways and means proposed for effecting what all are ardently desirous of. Unanimity being, in our view, of the last importance, everyone must be heard, even on those points or subjects which are in themselves not of the last importance, and indeed it often happens that what is of little or no consequence to one colony is of the last to another. We have thus hinted to your honor our general situation, which hope will account for our being delayed here beyond the time which either the colony or we ourselves expected." It's fascinating to note in this letter a few things. One, there is a sense of unanimity of the problems the colonies face and the potential solutions. There's also an understanding and acceptance that the colonies are different from one another. And based on that, that it is essential that each colony be heard, that each delegate be heard. Scene two of Act One takes place from October 14th through 26th. The October 14th passage of the Declaration and Resolves led to the further consideration of how to settle the grievances and yet still be reconciled with Great Britain. The last two weeks of October were devoted to what the Declaration of Resolves called the pursuit of peaceable measures. One, to enter into a non-importation, non-consumption, and non-exportation agreement or association. Two, to prepare an address to the people of Great Britain and a memorial to the inhabitants of British America, and three, to prepare a loyal address to His Majesty, agreeable to resolutions already entered into. The number of committees expanded after October 14th. A five-member committee was created to prepare an address to His Majesty. Another committee was created to prepare a letter to the Committee of Correspondence in Boston. And a three-member committee was created to prepare a memorial to the inhabitants of British America and also to prepare an address to the people of Great Britain. The Association of 1774 was signed by 53 delegates on October 20th and constituted the first peaceable measure. Although the argument aimed at reconciliation and appealed, for the most part, to the British and colonial tradition, there were hints of the forthcoming Declaration of Independence. On October 21st, the delegates debated the drafts of the Address to the People of Great Britain and the Memorial to the American People. The former requested reconciliation, quote, place us in the same situation that we were at the close of the last war, and our former harmony will be restored, unquote. John Jay makes the case that English liberties applied to colonial Americans, and thus he appeals to the rule of law rather than to natural rights. The address begins with a reminder that their British ancestors once loved freedom, quote, maintained their independence and transmitted the rights of men and the blessings of liberty to you, their posterity, quote. We in America inherited the essential rights of English liberty, among which are trial by jury, religious liberty, habeas corpus, and that no power on the earth has a right to take our property from us without our consent. These rights are soon to be articulated in the state constitutions and later in the United States Bill of Rights. 
Contrary to this tradition, Jay argues, Britain since 1763 has become an advocate for slavery and oppression. There has been a sudden change of treatment and a system of slavery which was prepared for us at the restoration of peace. The Stamp Act received special attention in this catalog of American oppressions. And Jay also claims that the British colonies are supposed to be free Protestant colonies. What we need in 1774 America, in effect, is the English 1688 Bill of Rights. Now, the Memorial to the American People, drafted by Richard Henry Lee, is addressed to friends and fellow countrymen, although there is not yet an official country of America. It also appeals to Almighty God, the Creator of all, and not only to the inherited rights of Englishmen. There is a clear message that the, quote, hostile and unjustifiable invasion of the town of Boston, unquote, is equivalent of an invasion of a united America. And he also repeats the concern about Catholic Quebec. This memorial repeats the claim that the King and Parliament, contrary to the English tradition of liberty, have, since 1763, imposed slavery on the colonies. Special attention is given to the Stamp Act and the Glass, Paper, and Tea Act made 15 months after the repeal of the Stamp Act. Most importantly, quote, humble and reasonable petitions from the representatives of the people have been frequently treated with contempt and assemblies have been repeatedly and arbitrarily dissolved, unquote. Most importantly, he says, quote, humble and reasonable petitions from the representatives of the people have been frequently treated with contempt, and assemblies have been repeatedly and arbitrarily dissolved, unquote. Nevertheless, quote, notwithstanding the vehemence with which affairs have been impelled, they have not yet reached that fatal point. We do not incline to accelerate their motion, already alarmingly rapid. We have chosen a method of opposition that does not preclude a hearty reconciliation with our fellow citizens on the other side of the Atlantic, unquote. On October 21st, Congress also resolved, quote, that an address be prepared to the people of Quebec, unquote. Thomas Cushing, Richard Henry Lee, and John Dickinson were selected to a committee to prepare that address. Congress also ordered that Joseph Galloway, Thomas McKean, John Adams, and William Hooper become a committee to revise the minutes of the Congress. On October 25th, Richard Henry Lee and John Jay began work on a letter to the agents or friends who might be able to advance the American case. The next day, the petition to the king was signed by 51 delegates. And the First Continental Congress came to an end with the possibility of meeting again in May of 1775. The Congress thus ended on a note of optimism. Perhaps the various petitions and memorials might work to secure a reconciliation. There was also pessimism. We will probably have to meet again and try something else if this does not work. Of particular interest is the pervasive presence of John Jay and Richard Henry Lee. Jay was in favor of reconciliation, and he eventually left the Second Continental Congress before the signing of the Declaration of Independence. On the other hand is Richard Henry Lee, who in Act Three of our drama, in 1776, introduces the resolution to pursue independence rather than reconciliation. Thus, 1774 draws to a close with American leaders seeking reconciliation and arguing their case using British legal tradition. 
At the same time, however, they are preparing for the possibility that these efforts will fail. Read more about this fascinating moment in American history and study the various documents and other resources that we have prepared for you at AmericanFounding.org. There's a direct link to the page mentioned in this episode in the show notes. Thanks for listening.